Welcome in to a Tofurky, not turkey, day edition of the Locked On Nets podcast. We have been gone for a while, but now we are back. Nets beat the Heat, they lose to the Mavericks, uh, splitting the 2006-2011 NBA Finals gauntlet. We're going to get into it next on Locked On Nets. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. You are Locked On Nets, your favorite daily Nets podcast, I would hope. Are you cheating on us? You wouldn't. You might be. We don't know. I'm Gavin Shaw, and I am joined by the great Josh Bass. Josh, how you doing? Gavin, I have to say that... Um... It's it's a little weird to be back in the analyst role. I, I really mm. enjoyed my time in the spotlight. We we said ISO for Josh, and you just you held the ball for for a week. And I yeah, it was like a Shabazz Napier type. Yeah, <laughs> you just I, I kept I I would call you and be like, do you want me to come on? You kept waving me off. You were like, no, no ISO. I said that's not true. I I, I needed you to uh, do them, and I I definitely appreciate you stepping up. You know what? If if we I, I'll I'll put this out there. If if anyone is interested in, if even one person response to this episode on Twitter and says they would like Josh to host an episode and me to be an analyst. We will do it. No questions asked. I am I'm I'm ready for it. I might tweet at you just to yeah. just so we can do it. <laughs> you make a burner account just to or Colangelo's burner account is like yeah, yeah, yeah. I have burners. I just need to to get them engaged again. Good. <laughs> and then their anti Gavin uh, propaganda, which to be fair is what they were doing before. Yep, yes. yeah, very very true. All right, we're getting we're getting off the uh I hate the I hate the path. The path is so it's so constricting. All right, well we'll, we'll get back on the path. The, the Nets uh, earlier this week they beat the Miami Heat, one hundred four to ninety two. I being uh, of the high level of journalistic integrity that is inherent in my soul, I will admit I, I did not watch the game. I don't know anything about the game. So Josh, ISO for you early. Uh, tell tell me about this Nets win where they outscored the Heat thirty to fifteen in the fourth quarter. Yeah, no, I mean, I feel like this game, the first quarter was just so ugly, and most of the second quarter also for the Nets, uh, season low, 39 points in the first half, but they came out guns a-blazing uh, in that second half, and a 30-15 to 15 advantage in the fourth quarter, really what that came down to is Spencer Dinwiddie and D'Angelo Russell playing well together, I thought D'Lo didn't have the best game, especially scoring the ball, but he came up big with some uh, key shots in the fourth to put the heat away, and um, a depleted Heat team without Dragic, without uh, who, are they, who are they missing? Dion Waiters as well, um, and I think that someone else, Olenek also. So they don't have as much firepower as they normally do. But mm. listen, a win on the road's a good win, and I thought uh, a lot of positives to be taken away here. Yeah, no, it seems again just just purely going off the box score, but it looks encouraging. And I, I, one thing I really did want to get your thoughts on, Josh. Is Damari Carroll, because I, I think I've maybe watched, I mean, outside of last night, where, yeah, I did do my job and watch the game, I've watched maybe like five, ten minutes of games that Carroll has been in so far, so I really have no feel for how he's been doing. I was wondering if you could just give me some thoughts on that, because it seems like in this game against the Heat, he did pretty good. Yeah, he was decent against the Heat, and I think that, to be honest, his shot selection can be very wayward at times, and the shots he, were taking, he was taking against the Heat and the Mavericks didn't differ too much, kind of those quick uh, catch-and-shoot threes. He always has that move where he'll drive in from the three-point line and just tries to like make the contact with the defender's arm and get a foul called that way. And I think 
sometimes it gets him in trouble because uh, a really astute ref notices that what he's doing because he tries to do it literally every play mm. um, and then we'll, won't give him the call and he looks like an idiot when he just shoots it up from 25 feet on the move with, uh, with no foul getting called. But it was working for him against the Heat. It didn't work for him against the Mavericks. So the process was the same, just the result was different. And I think that for the most part, um, just what I've seen out of Carroll this year, I think he's might have lost a half step. And uh, I'd like for him to maybe, well, maybe we can see if we can explore options for him on another team because there's definitely a contender that can use him. Uh, a couple other points in this game, Ed, Ed Davis is amazing. I think Jared Allen also had a decent game. 13 points, 14 rebounds, two block shots. And mm. his offensive game was a bit better than it was against Dallas. He was finishing some shots inside. Um, but he did get pushed around by Hassan Whiteside. Just Whiteside has that, I mean, Whiteside's massive. Yeah. He's probably 7 feet, 260 pounds. And you don't really see a ton of centers like him anymore. And especially against a guy like Jared Allen, who still needs to get stronger. He can just have his way and get countless offensive rebounds. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that continues to be an issue for Allen, like in the Mavericks game. He, he just immediately picks up two fouls on DeAndre Jordan, who I think, frankly, at this point in his career is like his main skill is that he's just a really big human and he can still jump a little bit. But um, I, I don't know. I think for Allen, it's about continuing to refine his positioning because there there's like a, a significant history of bigs with his build, like being very, very successful despite giving up a lot of weight. And you really have to be savvy. You really have to be quick on box outs. You have to be anticipatory in terms of guessing where rebounds are going to go. So I think there's like this whole set of skills that Allen is working on, and some nights he has it against bigger guys, and some nights he just gets physically dominated. And that's to be expected for someone as young and relatively inexperienced with basketball as he is. But to me, like when you were looking at – and we, I don't think we've really been critical of Jared Allen like almost ever at any point of this podcast except for like the first 10 to 12 games of his career. But if we were going to get to a point where we were concerned about his development going forward, that's something I'm looking for – him to improve over the course of the season. So not something I'm worried about yet, but if it doesn't get better as the season goes on, then uh, maybe it's something to be a little bit worried about. Yeah, but he, he can definitely still be an effective player, even if uh, he's not the best defensive rebounder, just because he does a lot of other things well. I think for him, like when he's in position, um, and he's very diligent about boxing out center sometimes, uh, he can he can get the job done. There's also times where he just forgets, like he he gets lost in the sauce and it's like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm on defense. I have to box out. There's a shot going up. And then those will be the times where like a 6-2 guard or like a J.J. Barea, whatever, will come in and sneak in for an offensive rebound. And those are the plays that can't happen. Um, but he's in his second season. He only had one year at Texas. I think he's made such great strides already um, between his first and second season that you, there's no way to say that he's not going to be a big part of this Nets future. No, 100%. I mean, I just... I guess like you're like when you're projecting in terms of and then this is probably a whole podcast unto itself, whether he's just going to be like a good starter for a net, a really, really good starter, an all star, a borderline all star. I think like that's you start looking at those like edges of his game and you're saying like, how, how good are they going to be at age 20? And you can mm-hmm. kind of project forward from there. All right. Any uh, yeah. any final thoughts on Nets heat before we uh, we wrap this one up? Um, I mean, I think Joe Harris did a really nice job also. Even though he went nope. over five from three, um, and has definitely struggled with his shot the last few games. Twenty-one uh, percent over his last seven, I believe. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, but he was four or five on two pointers, and it's crazy to me. His drives to the basket have gotten so good. He's really good at protecting the ball um, with his body, uh, and I think he's definitely become a very well-rounded player. Where even though his shot might not fall in certain games, he's contributing. 
Uh, Jared Dudley was a mess in this one. I'm surprised that Kurtz hasn't gotten any minutes in either of the last two games, especially because the Nets four rotation has been lighting the world on fire, and he right. was pretty good against. It was really good against the Wizards. So uh, I like to see maybe a trade happen with one of the three other fours, like Dudley, Rondé, or uh, Carroll, and let's get some minutes for Rodions. All right, a good uh, preview for our third segment. In between, where you're going to talk Nets Mavericks next on the Locked On Nets podcast. You know, ever since I started this podcast, people have been asking me for advice. Usually it's, which team should I bet on this week? The truth is, I don't know who's going to win. But if you think you do, you got to check out my bookie. Remember, who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with. That's why I always tell people to bet with my bookie. Trust me, they are the best bet you'll make this season. They've been in business for years, have great online reviews, and their mobile site is super easy to use. So you can lay down some cash and win today. They have in-game live betting, the most rewarding player perks in the business, and for you fantasy guys out there, you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game. My fantasy teams are excellent this season. I don't have to do that. Yours? Probably not as good, so I'd recommend getting on my bookie and doing that immediately. Plus, if you join now, my bookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar up to a thousand bucks. All you have to do is use my promo code LOCKEDON25 to activate the offer. Visit my bookie online today. That's M Y B O O K I E. And don't forget to use my promo code with a capital L, LOCKEDON25, when creating your account to claim the bonus. You play, you win, you get paid. Tofurky Day edition of Locked On Nets. Gavin Shaw, Josh Bass here with you. It was a relatively poor follow-up from the Nets coming off a big win. They were attempting for the first time in their last 32 attempts to win the back end of a road back-to-back. And once again, they failed. They are now 0 of their last 32 in those situations, falling to the Dallas Mavericks 119-113. to And Josh, I don't know how you felt watching this game. I was kind of shocked the Nets were in it at all. Like, the whole time, I kind of felt like Dallas should be pulling away. They were shooting better from three. The Nets really couldn't do anything offensively. Defensively, I thought they sucked most of this game. And yet, somehow, they were they were right in it at the end. So, I don't know if they deserve any credit for that or it's just that Dallas isn't that good. But I, I thought that was that was kind of interesting. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a combination. Dallas isn't that good. I mean, they're good at home. Dallas 7-2 sure. this year. But overall, they're not great. It's... It is the type of team, though, that the Nets struggle with, where there's a lot of guys that can do damage. I think when there's a, a team where there's only one or two top guys, the Nets do a pretty good job usually of keying in and making the other role players beat them. But when there's a team like the Clippers or Dallas, where there's a ton of guys on the bench, I mean, Maxi Kleba had 11 points, J.J. Beret and Devin Harris each had 18, hmm. um, that you're just not going to win that kind of game. Are you shocked that J.J. Barea and Devin Harris in 2018 are like relevant rotation pieces? Like Obviously, they're better against the Nets than most teams, but it's crazy that they're both like play big minutes and are both still pretty good to me. I don't know how J.J. Barea is still... Because he's less than six feet, but let's be real. he's There's no way he's like tall. No, he's like 5'10". Five, five, yeah, 5'9". Yeah, 5'9". Yeah, and he still plays decent minutes. And I feel like he's been... I mean, he's there's been years where he's better, but he's pretty much the exact same as he was... Um, on those Dallas championship teams and when he was with Minnesota. And he's only 34. I don't, I don't understand how like there's a 5'9 guy who's playing in the NBA uh, at 34 Yeah, 34. Yeah, isn't that nuts? Like, what is he, like, I was kind of watching him defensively, and he's not, like, good, but he's also, like, he's, like, better than D'Lo, probably. Yeah, he's an irritant. <laughs> and also, he's yeah. his best skill, I think, is that 
he's so good at knowing like how to use a screen to his advantage. Yeah. And like if if the screen's not done properly, he'll yell at like Mesri or Maxi Kleba to come set a better one. Yeah. <laughs> again, he, he's again. Very funny. Yeah. Something about him just he's an interesting player. Puerto Ricans uh pride of Puerto Rico. Yeah, for sure. He was uh he's a rich man's uh Carlos Arroyo. Um and then Devin Harris as well, like the longtime net I think at one point I and Eagles said it was his 15th year in the league, which I think intuitively I would have guessed it was something close to that, but it was still kind of a shock to hear because I, I just always think of him as like that young gun on the net who got traded to the Mavericks. Oh, what was what was the? Oh no, they got him from the Mavericks and then he yeah, got traded back traded to the Mavericks to and, then he, and then he was ended up on Denver and now he's back in Dallas, which is just like crazy. Yeah, they were doing the whole thing with like how many players have had three stints on one team, and it's like it's a relatively small list, which makes sense because if you keep training away a guy, like why would you keep? bring him back anyways he was really good 18 minutes 18 points against the Nets and again just this was a real indictment I thought on the Nets defensively that they allowed those two and Harrison Barnes to uh, just go off on them and to me the most frustrating part and I thought again give credit to the broadcast team they noted this it was about 20 minutes or so into the game maybe a little bit earlier and the Nets still had not forced a turnover against the Dallas Mavericks team that is fourth in the NBA in total turnovers on the season they finished the game with 13 so clearly the Nets got a little bit better as it went on but to me that was just like ridiculous and it felt like they were just letting Dallas like get wherever they wanted yeah but I mean when you look at this Nets team especially without Levert there's not a ton of guys that can really get into the passing lanes and force havoc I mean D'Lo has good hands but he's not really going to pressure the ball at all yeah Dinwiddie can do both but looking at the wings I mean Joe Harris is a solid team defender pretty decent one-on-one but he's really the type of person that's going to stay at home not really get up into you crabs uh hit or miss but usually okay uh dudley i mean carol these are guys aren't like super athletic guys that are really uh going to force a lot of turnovers so that i think that's the thing the nets could look at trying to get more athletic at the wing spots and really say hey even though we force the right types of shots you have to support that with forcing a lot of turnovers and getting out and transition more um and i think that's something that sean marks could look at uh, when we get closer to the trade deadline, and also moving forward the next couple of years. Mm. Again, a little uh, little hint hint for our next segment. Uh, do we have to eat crow on Alan Crabb? He said he's had two good games in his last three, and that makes two games total this season that he's been good in. I, I, I don't think know. He's, it's clear yeah. that he's living up uh, every penny of that eighteen million dollar contract. Yeah, I mean, also the game against the yeah. Clippers. I mean, fifteen points. It's it's good for him. It's good for a role player, but. It's not like yeah, it didn't it's not the like he replicated fire. the performance last night against uh, against the Clippers. Yeah, okay, and we can we can say fairly. Let's be objective here. Alan Crabb, absolutely awesome last night. I was I was ecstatic, yeah, amazing, yeah. watching him hit seven of eleven threes. And in the second half, it was the strangest feeling in the world. I was so confident every time he shot that they were going to go in. He just got into that kind of zone, and it, it's funny because I was noting the same thing last year, and it was almost it looks a little bit different this time around. But he really he he has like a little bit of like. Markel Fultz, like not not obviously not to the same degree, but like just seemingly super duper duper in his own head at times. Because when you could tell when he's confident and he's not thinking his shot looks beautiful, it looks amazing, it looks Clay Thompson esque. And when he's thinking, he has this weird hitch in his shot. And I I genuinely like I mean it's always there to a degree, but his shot really changes based on how confident he is at any given moment. Just in terms of form, I'm not talking about how often it goes in. Obviously, that's dramatically different. But if he could ever find a way like if he could just like I don't know if they could give him like a Xanax before every game like I think he would be like one of the best shooters in basketball again I really I really do think mm-hmm. so much of it is in his head and I think we saw last night like the potential when he when he's playing free and, and why the Nets were willing to give him so much money 
I, again, I just I don't have a lot of confidence myself that this will last over any significant stretch of time. Yeah, he's uh, like Drake says, Alan Crabs in his feelings. Yeah, but it went it went well last night. I think he was hitting a lot of really tough looks, but uh, I mean the Nets just didn't play that well. I think um, Spencer Dinwiddie did a really good job. Uh, Jared Allen was pretty horrible, especially those threes late, which. I get he's trying to develop that skill, but maybe think about the game situation before you're shooting those. Sure. Uh, but Ed Davis was amazing. Um, but D'Angelo Russell struggled. Damari Carroll was terrible. Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, going back to a couple of years ago, this, I guess it was the 2016-17 season, uh, when one of the Pelicans announcers said he dribbles like he's uh, just completely plastered, stumbling out of a bar. Back to that, there was he lost the ball at least three or four times in the span of a couple minutes. Yeah. No, he was, I like initially, like I think I'd wrote down at one point, like I kind of, I liked the energy he was bringing. And he had a couple of plays where he like broke down the defense and just jumped it off to a big for a dunk. And that was, that was kind of exciting. But yeah, the ball handling, I mean, it just, it doesn't seem like it's something that's ever going to come together for him. And again, it, with, with the type of, it, it, I, I feel, I feel like both like simultaneously bad for him and, and frustrated from Annette's coverage perspective is I, I just don't think he's ever going to take that next step beyond being like a good energy guy. And obviously you want to see, a larger sample size this season, but I really thought he would come back like a better player. And if anything, I feel like he's like regressed slightly offensively from last season. And, and maybe that, maybe like as the season goes on, he'll get into form and he'll hit that level again. But my expectations of him being a better player have kind of gone out the window. Yeah. I mean, I think what we can say is that offensively, he's been a complete disaster this year. He's shooting 40% from the field hmm. um, and 60% from the line. So his true shooting percentage of 44, uh, 44, 45%, which is, absolutely god-awful so he's taken such a huge step back from last year and I think the thing with Rondé is that he's never going to be good enough to be a a featured offensive player so when he tries to like hone his one-on-one skills it's really it's not what he should be doing he should be focused more on trying to develop a corner three shot and I'm sure he is doing that so I can't I can't say he's not it just doesn't look good and it looks like it's never going to happen and then defensively I think he's plateaued as a, a good guy a good um player that can switch and maybe cause some problems here and there, but he's never going to be uh, live up to the promise that we thought he had, especially his first season in the league and also coming out of Arizona. Yeah, I just think the the combination of him and Carroll to me, it's like, I, I just don't see them getting it done. Like like the Nets like wings position, which was obviously with Levert in there seemed like such a strength just because you had like one pseudo star and then just a lot of a wide variety of options behind him. But right now, and you mentioned this obviously in the heat section, like that group of Nets players is playing so badly as a group. Like like the one saving grace is generally that Joe Harris is shooting the lights out. And I guess you could argue like at least last night, like Crab like took that role from him. So they still got that kind of production. But right now, like they're just not getting anything consistent from that group of players. And I think over the long term, that's going to like, I know the Nets like generally have been playing very, very well since the Levert injury, all things considered. But I, I think long term, that's going to doom them a little bit until he comes back. Yeah, they really need someone. I think watching Harrison Barnes last night, I mean, he's definitely a flawed player. And right. He's overpaid, but he is someone that can, one, hit a three, and also, two, punish switches. I mean, there was one play where uh, Barnes had Shabazz Napier on him and just posted him up and went right through him for um, a, an easy basket. And the Nets forwards right now, they need someone like that or like a, a Morris brother that can um, hit an open three but also be able to uh, when, when there is a switch, instead of having the guard try to take their man off the dribble, and D'Angelo Russell isn't that great at that, so it would be a nice option for him to have to say, hey, uh, I can pass the ball inside to one of my combo forwards who can get a basket. So it's Tobias Harris type, Harrison <laughs> That's funny. Barnes, yeah. 
Uh, and that's really not anyone the Nets have at this point. The second you started talking, Tobias Harris was the name that popped in my head. It seems like most people think he's going to stay a Clipper unless they can get two superstars. But honestly, I know like the Nets are hoarding money and like thinking they're going to, maybe not thinking, but hoping they're going to get Kawhi or KD. If the Nets ended up with someone like Tobias Harris next offseason, I would be I'd be perfectly happy with that. That would be that'd be a great great addition for them. Someone someone right on that level. All right, that's pretty much all I had on this game. I do want to give Ed Davis a shout out. I think we should spend a minute on him. It's very difficult over a two game stretch to make twelve straight field goals in the NBA. I don't care what position you play. I don't care how close you are to the basket. And the fact that Ed Davis is doing it without really like necessarily like I know he's scoring around the rim, but it's not like on lobs. Like that's that's just insane, and I think we should we should give him a round of applause. And he, he just continues to be. I, I think I think this is a fair statement. The most consistent player on this team, like he's the one guy who brings it night after night after night. And obviously, when a lot of your role is just catching and finishing, that's a little bit easier to do. But he he's been awesome on both ends of the floor. Yeah, his his touch on layups has been really good. He's such a ferocious rebounder. Um, really happy the Nets have him. A couple other points. Do you agree with me that Jared Dudley should have retired after his and one last night? Yeah, that, that could, he just walks out of the arena. Like, you know how, like, when a player, like, right after they um, score a bucket and get fouled, they'll usually, like, especially if they're on the road, they'll, like, kind of stare down the crowd a little bit. I think he should have, like, walked all the way up to, like, one person, stared them down, and they just kept going. Just right out of the yeah. arena. Yeah. It would have been a perfect note to end his career. No, he, like, immediately walks over, changes into a suit, and sits next to Ayn and Sarah as the third broadcaster. <laughs> yeah. I'd lo- I'd love him like an Ian Jared Dudley Richard Jefferson booth. That would that would be perfect for me. I think Richard Jefferson can't be part of a, a three man booth just because he talks too much and he <laughs> bust that having to share it with someone else. Have you noticed like that? This is way off topic, but just like the sheer like media tour he's been on recently. He went on Howard Howard Beck's podcast, which was actually I highly recommend uh, anyone who who missed it. It was about a week ago. Listen, that was very very good. He wrote like a tell all like Players Tribune style like retiring. Like on ESPN, talking about how he's like gonna miss dunking on people, and how he, um, I'm forgetting who he yammed on. It was someone on the Mavericks like a few years ago when he was 34, and it was just like, and I, I went back and I looked at the highlight, and it was like absolutely incredible. Um, and anyways, so he's he's like just going on this like massive. He was on the jump the other day, like I, he retired like two weeks ago. I don't know why this is just happening now, but uh, yeah, yeah. It was also Michael K. Gilchrist that he dunked over. Right? Yeah, yeah, it was. Thank you. Yeah, but um, no, I, I like RJ. I think he's uh, he deserves to have his tour because he's had a great career and I think underappreciated just because um, a lot of it was spent on the New Jersey Nets who, after uh, we made those back-to-back finals, a lot of people just dismissed us and it was kind of a, a purgatory for um, a couple of years right before he got traded for the Immortal E. <laughs> Which is a great decision and just classic Nets. All right, on that note, uh, we're going to talk about trades next on the Locked On Nets podcast. All right, we are going to focus this segment, and it's going to be a relatively quick one, on future trades the Nets could make. But before we do that, we should look back at the ramifications of one of the past ones, where, again, like not that the Nets would have finished with a poor enough record to draft Luka Doncic last year, but he is feasibly the type of guy they could have gotten. And Josh, I can't. I don't think I texted you this. I think I just texted uh, our group of, uh, or my group of Suns friends at this point, but... I'm still upset that Luka Doncic is not on the Suns and that he wasn't the first pick in the draft. I think DeAndre Ayton is going to be very, very good. Uh, the more I watch Doncic, and I again, this isn't retroactive. I, I thought coming into the draft, he was my number one guy. I, I just think he's so clearly going to be the number one guy from this draft. And 
more than anything else, because at least Aiton looks like he's going to be a multi-time All-Star. Jaron Jackson looks like he could be a multi-time All-Star. Trey Young, even though I'd rather have Donkic, looks like he could be very good. I still can't believe the Kings took Harry Giles over him. He'd be so perfect on this Kings Marvin team. Marvin Bagley. Oh, Marvin Bagley. Yeah, Jesus. Sorry. Other other disappointing Duke big. But yeah, How go is ahead. Marvin Bagley disappointing? He's so, he's like, he's not, like, he doesn't have a position. And then in college, he was amazing, though. Yeah, he was. I know, I, I know I'm he not, shouldn't I'm, have been at the number two overall pick, but... You can't compare him to Harry Giles, who played maybe like a hundred minutes at Duke and sucked, versus Bagley, who averaged twenty and ten. Yeah, no, I wasn't saying like I wasn't saying like disappointing like college players. I just said that I was saying they're going to be disappointing NBA players. I don't know. Bagley's having a good season to start the year with a to for the very upstart Sacramento Kings. He's averaging twelve and six, decent efficiency. I don't think you can compare him to Harry Giles. But I think I think it's actually it's funny because he's very similar to a guy on Dallas. Dennis Smith Jr., where I think he's a guy who's going to put up raw numbers, but is like, and maybe like he's a bench guy, he could contribute to winning, but as like, as like a starter, as like a key piece to your team, like I just, I don't know what he is, but we shouldn't go, we shouldn't go down that far down that road. We can, yeah. uh, you, you just wanted to quickly talk about how amazing Donkic was, and I, I agree with everything you're going to say, so go ahead. Yeah, I think a couple of things with Luca that I noticed is that just the, a couple of traits he has where he has really good size, he's smart. He can hit threes off the dribble. That's already right there going to make him a good player. Yeah. And he's also a really like good cutter. He's, he's physical. He uses his size. Um, and I think maybe a lot of teams were saying, hey, we'll put a smaller guy on him just because he's not quick enough to beat them off the dribble. But he has a post game. Uh, and he knows how to use his size to create easy baskets and, and make uh, the right pass. So he's going to be really, really good. I'm, I think that all the hype he got coming into the draft has been completely warranted so far. Yeah, it's almost like the guy who won the MVP of the second best league in the world was probably the least likely to be a bust out of anyone in the draft. It's it's, it's weird how four teams like didn't think. I, I get I get the idea with Aiton and Jackson like physically, theoretically, their upside is higher. I just I was always of the opinion like Doncic's skill set was just so so high. Like I, I I didn't see how you could pass up on that. And I think last last night was a great example. Like the combination of size, shooting, ball movement, and just just the intuitiveness of his game, how instinctual he is, where, like, I, I thought, like, there are some good moments where, like, Joe Harris, who I consider to be, like, a pretty smart and savvy defender, was on him, and Donkic just got him to commit these stupid fouls just because he's, like, Donkic at 19 is just so far ahead of the game. And I really do think he's obviously, he's never going to be a LeBron-level athlete or even anywhere close to that. But just in terms of thinking the game, I think he could eventually control the game in a similar way that LeBron does from the forward position. Yeah, I think... Quickly, I just want you to touch on Dennis Smith because he was—he's completely marginalized. I'm actually surprised that uh, I think like his rookie season was a disappointment, but at the same time, he is young. He has amazing athleticism and a lot of potential. And I feel like he only took three sh- three shots last night. Like, do you see eventually uh, in the scenario where in a year or so from now he's getting traded just because they say, "Hey, we already have Luca um, as our primary ball handler. Maybe we'll just look for a couple other uh, players that are more." Lot, like lights out shooters as opposed to someone like Smith that's best trade is creating his own shot because I don't know I feel like Dallas the current team they have now he's not a good fit for them I 100% agree with you and here's the thing I'm very torn on this debate and I've seen so many people have this argument like I can't remember who it was but it was like one like I think I can't remember if it was like a draft expert or just like an NBA guy but there's one guy who's just like castigating Smith on Twitter just talking about like how much he sucks how much he thinks he's gonna suck going down the road and how much like the analytics just paint him as like a negative presence for Dallas, and then there was someone else who was like, oh, it's almost like he's like 19 and has like amazing athletic ability and can shoot a little bit and hasn't totally figured out how to play against the best position in the NBA yet. And I think there are, there's valid points on both sides of that argument. 
And but I think the more I watch, like the thing is, you start to see signs that these guys are getting it early. Generally, like if someone's going to be a star, like there's a very good chance like Dennis Smith Jr. goes on to be like a very good role player in this league, maybe even a solid starter. But if someone's going to be a star, you start to see signs either late in their first season or early in their second season. De'Aaron Fox, in my mind, is the perfect example of this. Someone with like the same level of athletic ability as Smith, but just seemingly thinks the game on a higher level. And it's actually a year younger than Dennis Smith Jr. So I think if Smith is going to be that guy and he's going to be an essential piece, of Dallas's future, we would start to know it at this point. And instead, as you said, like he's starting to get marginalized, only played 19 minutes last night. I have a feeling that he, as you said, like they're obviously going to, I mean, I mean, this isn't even a question that they're going to prioritize Donkic and like if they think it's easier for him to be a point guard surrounded by four shooters or better for the team. Like imagine like, like, you know, like what, what Philly well, had. What about this trade? What about, yeah. what about Mikael Bridges for Dennis Smith? I mean, as a Suns fan, I would, I would have no interest in that, but. Um, really? Yeah, why would I? I don't think Dennis Smith is going to be a good point guard in the NBA, and I think Mikel Bridges is going to be a really useful rotation piece. Okay, so you're out on Dennis Smith entirely? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I guess, yeah, I, guess, I said I was torn on the debate. I'm, I'm very much of the opinion, like, he is long-term not going to be that good of a point guard. I, I could see where theoretically, I, I bet, let's put it like this, I bet Robert Sarver would be into that trade, so maybe that's something. I, I was just going to throw out the hypothetical, and I think because we're going very long on this, unless we want to split this into two podcasts where we might not get into um, the other trade scenarios. We're going to talk about, but just think about, you know, like last year's Sixers team, think about replacing Ben Simmons with like Donkic and like just having that team going forward. Like I'm just thinking of him on like a team with like a great big, just surrounded by like three and D wings. Like to me, that's like, that's really like the modern NBA incarnate. And I think that team could be so dangerous and exactly the type of team. Like if you're thinking like, let's just say the Warriors like stayed together, like two, three, four years down the road, you want to give them trouble. I want a team with Luka Donkic surrounded by three and D guys and like one other superstar, basically. Makes sense. You know, if you can get that, um, in a, an incredible spot. That's an interesting one, and I think I think I know the answer at this point. But do you think who who would who would say no quicker if in if Dallas and Philly were going to trade like Doncic for Simmons? Like, which team would hang up the phone faster? That's so tough because I feel like a couple weeks ago, uh, Philly might have uh, hung up the phone immediately just because. Um, Pre-Jimmy Butler, they need Simmons playmaking, and he's already um, such a stud. But with Jimmy Butler in the fold, and especially if Philly said they're going to give him a four- or five-year contract, I think Doncic might actually fit better with uh, Jimmy and Embiid just because he's a good shooter now and projects to be a really, really good three-point shooter in a couple of years. And you have Simmons, on the other hand, who has shown no interest or ability to be able to hit a shot outside of 15 feet. So uh, I think... Dallas might like say, hey, we, we can get Ben Simmons. He's a super uh, elite playmaker, has great positional size, um, is a very good defender already. And Philly says with our current core and a big three of Doncic, Jimmy Butler, and Embiid, uh, it could give us a chance just because those pieces fit a bit better um, than Simmons would in that spot, even though on a raw talent standpoint, I'd probably rather have Simmons. Interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely of the same opinion of you. Like, I think to me, like I, I think, like shooting in like a lot of ways, and like I'm, I'm not, I'm not the first person to say this, but it's kind of an, it's kind of an exponential skill in the NBA, like, and just that it matters so much more than anything else because it's not, it's not about your ability necessarily and your ability to score, but it's about how it affects the other nine guys on the floor, and and I think because of that, like even if you can make the argument like Simmons checks more boxes than Doncic does, I, I think, I think even in a vacuum, like outside, like I know, I know you mentioned Jimmy Butler specifically. Like, I think I would rather have Doncic than Simmons in, like, in any context. And part of it is also that he's two years younger. 
But um, yeah, I think I, I think I think in the modern NBA, I'd rather have Dockage, which sounds crazy given like the difference in the two athletically is just immense. But that's a good place to wrap up this edition of the Locked On Nets podcast. We were a spoiler. We're going to talk about the Nets, maybe having interest in Markel Fultz or some of the Wizards guys. We will save that. For our next podcast, uh, I'm sure we're going to get another one or two done this week. I, I finally have some free time. Josh finally has a little bit of free time, so we're going to figure it out and do a couple more. But we're really happy, or at least I'm really happy to be back. Josh has been with you for a while. And uh, thanks for staying patient with us, guys. We will have more podcasts for you this week. Enjoy your holidays. Peace out.